Well, listen, I am so excited to be able to introduce to you, and uh, again, I know some of you have been and uh, have uh, been introduced to him, but we have got the, such a privilege and such an honor to be able to have with us Dario Parrish. He, uh, he, again, he, he comes, I'm not, honestly, I don't even know where he's from. He's, he's been all over. I, I know he was born and, and his ministry is in Guatemala or based in Guatemala. It's all over South America, Latin America, even over all across the United States. I know that right now he's living in Houston, Texas. So, I, again, it's just, it just depends on, I guess, where you catch him at what moment as to where he's actually from. But right now we're just going to claim him as our own family. Amen? A part of new life, and we're just going to welcome him home. Come on up and give us what God has laid on your heart. Blessings. It's been uh, such a joy to be able to be here this weekend. Uh, really, really, I'm going to be honest. I felt uh, really at home. And I want uh, to congratulate you for uh, that uh, warm feeling, warm relationship that you have one with the other. And so we want to uh, really congratulate you for that and for opening your arms wide open. Uh, we'd like to take a couple minutes, and as Pastor mentioned, uh, uh, the question is, where am I, am I from? Um, my, my grandparents uh, left Canada back in 1935 as missionaries, first to Costa Rica, then to Colombia. Uh, during the years that they were in Colombia, they uh, faced incredible, incredible, incredible persecution. Uh, Colombia was, was a uh, tremendous, difficult place to, to be able to preach the gospel. Uh, many, many stories that I could tell you, but uh, uh, within the next few years, they were able to plant 12 churches in, in Colombia. And back in uh, 1948, God called them uh, to, to Guatemala where they moved and they began a brand new work in Guatemala. Uh, our family has always been uh, church planters. That's been the real main focus of our ministry. In Guatemala, back in 1985, Guatemala celebrated 100 years of uh, uh, evangelism uh, since the first missionary came in 1885. And our family got... Uh, uh, recognized nationwide as uh, one of the main church planters in, in, in Guatemala. My grandfather was, was saved mirac miraculously in, in Canada, Toronto, Canada, where he, uh, he was ag agnostic. He was just a religious man and uh, got evangelized by a lady that uh, he laughed at her, but two weeks later the Holy Spirit came over his car. And basically transformed him right in his car and got called, got prepared, and uh, got going uh, into the field. And uh, my grandfather's life is a testament because uh, he began that career at 38 years old. Everybody told him he was too old. Everybody told him that he should instead just basically support missionaries and not, not do that himself. But... As I stand here uh, before you, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Over 10,000 churches have been planted around the world because a man obeyed a call upon his life. And uh, 
Back in 1963, the Holy Spirit came over our ministry and uh, renewed us and refocused us. In the same week, uh, we got the revelation of deliverance. I mean, it was hand in hand. And uh, at that moment, our, our ministry began in a revival that lasted 14 years where our, our central church called Calvary Church in Guatemala uh, did not close its doors for 14 years. Service, eight services a week, seven days a week. And uh, uh, people would be there from 7 o'clock in the morning until 11 o'clock at night ministering. Ministering healing, ministering deliverance. Uh, and people from all over the world would come uh, to, to be touched, transformed, uh, healed, delivered. And, uh, and so that is a result. Well, our, our three main focuses have always been evangelism, church planting, but one of the things that is very dear to me, and that is leadership training. And so uh, that is where we invest most of our time. We invest most of our effort. We invest most of our strength. And we praise God for everything that is being done right now. In our ministry right now, we're working in 30 different countries, all the way from Canada, all the way to Patagonia. You know where Patagonia is? That's basically when you're getting down to the South Pole. Just a, a little bit on the other side of the water from the South Pole in Argentina. And uh, uh, we work in really strange circumstances. We work uh, in different areas that are difficult. Three major languages. We work Spanish, Portuguese, English, and uh, 14 different Indian dialects in Latin America plus other African dialects, other Indian dialects in India, not America, India. And uh, we've, we're seeing how God is just doing something incredible. I was telling Pastor that I stand in awe of what God is doing because uh, sometimes our problem is we get in God's way. And we just have to take two steps back and say, Lord, you do it, I'll follow. And that's really what we've been doing and we praise God for everything. Uh, I am married uh, for 37 years to the same woman, uh, four kids. Uh, I robbed her, I kidnapped her from the United States to Guatemala, newlyweds. And uh, she is the one that taught me how to speak English. So if you have any complaints, uh, you can blame her, okay? Okay. And uh, we praise God because... Uh, of everything that God has placed in our hands and, and the opportunity to serve him uh, throughout the world. And so we praise God for that. I would like to uh, share with you today uh, the theme that we've been talking about, and that is how to break generational curses in our families. How to break generational curses. The Bible really talks to us about two sides of the coin. The Bible really shows us the reality and the opportunity, the reality and the opportunity. Uh, for example, uh, in Exodus 34, in Deuteronomy, it talks about the sins of the parents upon the third and fourth generation. But I would like to start in, in Ezekiel chapter 18. And the whole scripture is basically 14 through, through 20, but I want to look at 18, 19, and 20 of, of chapter 18. 
I'm going to start reading that part, and, and I hope you uh, catch up with me. And it says, as for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what, he, what was not good amongst his people, behold, he will die for his iniquity. Yet, you say, why should a son not bear the punishment of the father's iniquity? When the son has practiced justice and righteousness and has observed all my statutes and done them, he will surely live. The, the person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment of the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment of the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. And so what we see here is, is the balance. Because sometimes we can focus so much on the principle of the sins of the fathers upon the children for three and four generations. But we need to realize that there's an opportunity in our lives for us to realize that there is hope and there is a great possibility to break cycles. To break the cycles that we are are carrying in our own life. But it is not automatic. It is not a, 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 a magic in itself. We do not have a little magic stick that basically says, well, it's gone, here it goes. There's no magic words. There has to be a process in our lives where we are really knowing what we need to do to be able to achieve this. Now, let's look at, at several things that we find in this scripture rapidly. The first is this. that we all have examples in our lives that are difficult. We all have examples in our lives that uh, you could almost say you're ashamed of. Things that in your life that you would say, well, man, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of what happened. And, and, you, and you want to say, you know what, I want to be different than that. I don't have to follow the example. And the clarity of it is, you don't have to be your father, and you do not have to be your mother. We praise God for our parents, and we thank the Lord that they used, God used them to bring us to this point. But their mistakes doesn't have to define us. Their wrongdoing doesn't have to define us. Their limitations don't have to define us. That even though there's been modeling in our lives, there's been examples in our life that are not totally right, they do not have to define us. The second thing, that we can do those things that are right and we do not, are not subject to our fleshly desire. We're not subject to having to do what our flesh tells us we have to do. We can rise above. We can win and we can conquer over those circumstances in our lives. There's tendencies in our lives. And as, as, as we look at this cycle of iniquity in our lives and the cycle of sin in our lives, we need to realize that what is transferred from generation to generation, not necessarily it's a sin, it's a weakness. It's a tendency in our lives towards those things that are wrong. Haven't you noticed in our lives how... You do not have to teach thing, children to do the wrong things. Have you asked yourself why? Why is it that the good has to be taught? 
The wrong doesn't have to be taught. It's, it's almost like eating, huh? Eating a good diet, it has to be taught. Because kids don't have to be taught to eat wrong diets. And that's an example of our own life. Why? Because we, we, we come in, into this world, but yet there is within us, there is a tendency towards gravitation towards evil. Because where does sin abide? It abides within us. We're sinful in nature. We were conceived in sin. As David said there in Psalms chapter 51, we were conceived in sin. Sin abides within us. There is that tendency towards sin in us. And so what is transferred from generation to generation is not necessarily sin. It is the weakness, the tendency towards sin. And every one of us has to decide, am I going to do what is natural in my life or am I going to do what is correct, right in my life? Every day we're confronted with that question, aren't we? We're confronted with the fact that we have to decide, am I going to walk in righteousness? Because walking in righteousness can be defined in this very simple way. It is conquering the tendencies that we did receive from our parents. Haven't you ever heard that saying, he's just like his father, she's just like her mother. Why? Is that genetics? Is that a physical genetics or is it spiritual genetics? And so we need to really ask ourselves that because according to the scripture, righteousness means doing what is right even though there is a tendency in my life to do the what is wrong. Because it's been modeled, it's been demonstrated, it has been shown as a pattern within our lifestyle. The fourth thing is this. God punishes sin. And God punishes injustice. God's love. We all know that. That's unquestionable. But there's something, and I, I hope you realize, there's something that is above and greater than love. That God cannot invalidate. And that's God's justice. God is a just God. Have you asked yourself why? He had to send Jesus Christ to the cross. And, and we know it as parakeets, we could almost repeat it. Oh, because he loved us. You know really why he had to send Jesus to the cross? Because a righteous had to die for the unrighteous. To satisfy his justice. When Jesus appeared in his ascension from, from, from resurrection, he appeared to Martha. At the tomb. Do you remember the story? And she wanted to hug on him. And what did he say? No, no, you can't touch me because I still have to ascend. Why did he have to ascend? Because he had to present himself before the Father, pour his blood before the altar that is in heaven so that God's justice could be satisfied. And God would say, I am satisfied. Now salvation can be given to humanity. Because see, there's something above God's love, and that is God's justice. And that's what we're talking about here. God is a just God. He cannot call good evil. But yet at the same way, he cannot call evil what is good. 
And so God tells us that he has to punish sin and punish injustice. Because not because he is not a God of love, it's because he is above the God of love. He is the God of righteousness. He's a God of justice. He's a just God. That's what really, how can I say it? That's what move God, moves God more than anything else. And the cross is the demonstration, not just of his love, but of his justice. And so the fifth thing is this. Each person, listen to this one, each person will be punished for their own actions. See, Ezekiel chapter 18 is telling us clearly that. That even though God realizes that the sins of the parents upon the third and fourth generation, God still gives us an escape valve. He always gives us an opportunity. He always tells us that we can escape something that would be naturally upon us. And the, 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 the way that he has prepared the way for us to escape is when he tells us that God will punish every one of us according to our, our actions, not according to the actions of somebody else. So that none of us are without excuse. Because, you know what? Good or evil, I cannot blame my parents. Good or evil, I cannot blame my pastors. Good or evil, I cannot blame my teachers. I cannot blame anybody else but me. Because God, being a just God, will never punish the innocent for the guilty. That's the principle that we find here. The sixth thing here is this. God's wrath can be taken from one generation to another, but it has to be established in the righteous way or the right way. So what, what is being painted here in chapter 18 of Ezekiel is, is this. It tells us about a father that has done everything that is evil, everything that is unjust, everything that is, that is deplorable. But he raised a son that did not follow in his footsteps. That seeing his father act in that way, he determined in himself to be different. And so when he determined not to follow in his father's footsteps that were evil, the Lord said, I cannot punish a son for the sins of the parents. Now, why is he telling us this? It's because it's giving us an opportunity for us to realize that we can break not just in our lives the cycle, but we can in a, in a preemptive way, in a proactive way, we can Deal with the issue from the beginning. Before it happens, before it comes into effect in our own lives, we can deal with it. But the reality is that many of us, uh, I, I would say before Christ, B.C., before Christ, we did deplorable things. And we opened the tidal wave upon our lives because we did those things that were in our tendency, those things that, that we received from our parents, and we opened the righteousness of God upon us, the justice, the reason why sometimes we're dealing with issues in our own character, issues in our own life, issues in our own family. Have you noticed how sometimes we repeat the same mistakes from generation to generation? 
We, 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 we almost say it with a question mark. Why is it that a daughter marries a man just like her father? It's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing because we have a tendency of repeating the same mistakes, isn't it? I, 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 my wife, Cindy, that is an incredible person, she came from a very, very, very dysfunctional home. Uh, we lost count of how many times my mother-in-law got divorced and remarried. We lost count. I don't know if it's seven, eight, or nine times. I just, we, we don't know. And she married the same type of man over and over and over in over, my brother-in-law also has had four or five marriages. I don't know how many. But at the same time, he has married the same type of woman over and over. What am I saying there? We're repeating the same bad things over and over again. Uh, it, 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 sometimes it's unconscious. Or sometimes we just basically cannot get it through our, through our mind that this is what's going on in our lives. We're, we're going because we are following our tendencies, not following those things that God has established for us. Out of blindness, blindness or out of just pure natural instinct in our own life. And so let, 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 let me change direction for just a few moments and let's talk about what, what are those things that could be a generational curse in our life? What could there be? Well, let's, let's just give a, a few examples. First, sterility. And, and you know that that is not just a physical sterility. But there is, there is all types of sterility in our life. There could be uh, economic. It could be... Uh, a family problem, or or it could be also physical, in, in, in like like what it could happen. But uh, it could be the fact that there is constant miscarriages, or there is constant female complications, there are constant sexual problems. But it also could be the fact that our life. We work hard and we work hard and we are really dedicated to work, but we just can't go forward because our life is incapable of producing fruit, result, sterility, because it, it applies to many areas of our own life. And so that could be one of them. And we will see that, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 11, where the Lord talks about the fact that His blessing is what makes us multiply. You, you understand what I'm saying? His blessing is what makes our life fruitful. He has called us to be fruitful and to what? Multiply. But it's not talking about producing more children. It is talking about the fact that my life needs to be fruitful. My life has to have a purpose. My life has to have a result. I need to be able to see that everything that I do is producing something in my life. I'm going forward. I'm not stagnated in my life. The second thing, poverty. We could call it lack, scarceness. And, and, and you know, probably you've heard more messages about 
prosperity and poverty than, than I have. But the reality is, biblically speaking, prosperity is, 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 is a very different thing to understand. But poverty, God never intended for us to be in poverty. In reality, if we look at the scriptures, for example, in different parts of the scriptures, not just in Deuteronomy chapter 28, but we find that, for example, in Isaiah chapter 60 and Isaiah 65, where it talks about the fact that when we walk in God's blessing, it says we will plant a vineyard and we will be able to enjoy the fruit of the vineyard. We will be able to build a house and we will be able to live in it. Because it's God's blessing that makes us prosper. And I know by a group that there is here, and, and, and again I go back and I'm, I'm here in humility and I'm here with, with, with as much love and compassion in my heart because there are some of us that are here that are struggling. We're struggling because we feel that every month instead of moving forward, we're moving backwards. We're getting deeper and deeper and deeper into debt. And it's not the lack of... Of, of, of willingness to work. It is not a lack of, of disposition to work hard. It's sometimes just something that is happening in our lives that doesn't permit us to move forward, but to be stagnated or to move back. There's always an emergency. There's always something that is happening in our lives. And you know, poverty could be one of those cycles, generational cycles, that not necessarily happened in the, in the concept that our parents were poor and now we're poor. It could mean that they did something that caused poverty in the generation. For example, a parent that could probably, for example, be in some type of uh, scheme, robbery, taking advantage of others. I talked about this morning that uh, uh, parents that have been involved in idolatry produces poverty in his, their generations. And so poverty is, is, is part of that cycle in our lives. Another one is sickness, generational sicknesses. And I, I, I know that some of you that have gone lately to the doctors, it's astonishing to realize that in the last maybe 10, 12, 14, 15 years, Doctors are beginning to realize what we've known for thousands of years. For example, when you get to a doctor, uh, especially when it's the first time you get to a doctor, it's, this is your first appointment with a doctor, they'll give you a long form for you to fill out. And one of the things that it talks about is family history of medical problems. Because it's, for them, it's, it's an issue of probability. It's an issue of possibility. For us, it's an issue of reality. Because we know how things are transferred from generation to generation. And sometimes it's just an issue that has to do with a spiritual problem in our lives. I don't know if you knew this, but in the Bible, demons or spirits, evil spirits, are called familiar spirits. Why are they called familiar because they are assigned to families. They're part of a lineage. They go from generation 
to generation to generation. They're not familiar because they're friends. They're familiar because they're part of a family. They've been assigned to a family. They've been assigned to a lineage. And when we deal with, with sickness, we need to realize and ask ourselves, is there something here that is happening that we can see there's a cycle of happening because there's an aunt or an uncle or great aunt or a grandfather or a parent that has suffered with this, and now we realize and this is happening to us again. Because this is a sign that there is a problem that we have been dealing with in our generations and we need to learn to deal with it now. The fourth thing, slavery. We're not, we're not talking about physical, legal slavery. We're talking about the fact that we are enslaved. Because you could have freedom, legal freedom, but your mind could be enslaved. Your soul can be enslaved. There's a spiritual slavery. And that's when there is a weakness in your life. There's a tendency that you are not able to govern. Have you, have you seen how somebody that has a certain type of addiction and, 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 and they try to convince themselves that they can conquer that addiction? And they go through a process where they're trying to conquer the addiction and then suddenly they spend two, three weeks free from the addiction, but something triggers it. And they're back into the what? The same cycle. What is that? There's nothing very, very uh, difficult to understand. They have been enslaved by this problem. There's something that is dominating, something that has conquered their life. There's something that, 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 is, that is maintaining them enslaved. Have, have you noticed how in Deuteronomy, excuse me, chapter 28, God, God makes a statement that he has put us to be head and not to be tail. To be on top and not to be underneath. That's exactly what he's talking about. We have been called to be on top of our circumstances, not below our circumstances. We have been called to be head of our circumstances and not to be the tail. I, I love the American saying, and I, I've translated it into Spanish and I use it quite often. Who wiggles who? The dog, the tail, or the tail, the dog. I love that saying. Now, let me ask you, who's wiggling you? Hmm? Are you doing the tail, or the tail doing you? Because that's what we have to do. What's governing your life? What is controlling your life? Because if there's something that's controlling your life, that could be a generational curse upon your life. Let's look at the fifth. In homes, we see families that are suffering from the same problem, same crisis over and over and over again. And it's not an issue of love. It's an issue that there is something that is brewing within the home, something that is happening in the home that is more than just the lack of love. It's something that is spiritual in the home. I don't know if you've ever had this. I've had it. Where I leave the house, excuse me, I leave, I, I leave the office and I'm excited to get home. I'm excited to be with the family. I'm in a way almost, I'm daydreaming about what's going to happen that evening. 
Because I, I visualize an incredible dinner. I visualize us laughing and, and really enjoying a time. But suddenly, between the office and the home, something happened. Something triggered in me. And when I got home, all hell broke loose. Have you ever had that? You've asked yourself, what's going on? Why is this happening? Well, I mean, if it happens only once, it's, it's, already, it's a fluke. But what happens if it's a continual problem in your life? What happens if you married out of love, but you end up in divorce? And you don't, you're not the only one. It happens to a large majority in your family. Because the reality, we as Christians need to realize, and I'm not trying to put condemnation on anybody that has gone through a divorce, but now that we're in Christ, we know we have greater resources. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the greatest gift that God has given us, and that is forgiveness. Because by grace we have been forgiven, now we can walk in grace, giving grace to everybody else. I remember one time, and Cindy's testified this, my wife Cindy's testified this, how at, at point of our crisis in our marriage. She went running to the Lord and, and said, Lord, and started complaining about Dario and started crying about Dario to the Lord. And the Lord looked at her and talked to her and said, I want you to learn to love him as I love him. We have those resources. But there is issues that we are carrying. There's inequity that we, we're carrying in our own life that we need to realize that it has to be dealt. It has to be broken in our life. The cycle has to be broken. If not, it will continue manifesting in our lives. The instability of relationship, the tendencies toward divorce. How many homes were birthed in love, but now they've ended up being cats and dogs? Hatred, bitterness. What is it? What is the verse in English that says about the small, the the, the small foxes, the that that ruin the great vineyards? That's it. Okay. <laughs> the little foxes that ruin the great vineyards. Let me ask you: What are the little foxes in your life, in your family, that have created havoc? destruction in your relationships and what we can see that is is a pattern in our culture we can see that as a pattern in our in our in our in our homes and or, or the marked rebellion because I, I've, I've discovered the rebellious parents usually breed rebellious children That's usually how it is. And many times there's things that interfere in our relationships, things that continually come over and over again into our families. And we need to discern the working of the enemy. We need to discern those things. We need to be wise and understand that there's something that is happening in our lives. And we cannot throw our hands up in the air and say, well, that's life. No, it's not life. We have recourses in the Lord. We have resources in the Lord. We know what to do. We know that the Lord has given us the victory. God in the, on the cross gave us the capacity to break that yoke that we've been carrying in our families. 
one of the things I want to do is I want to be able to not have to care, give my kids that type of inheritance. Because Proverbs tells us that a good man leaves inheritance to his children's children. See, that's transgenerational inheritance. But let me ask you, what is the generation, what's the inheritance you're giving your, your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren? Because a righteous man will give a good inheritance. And I'm not talking about bank accounts. There's a spiritual inheritance. That if you leave a spiritual inheritance, you are leaving a way prepared for prosperity, a way prepared for goodness, for stability in, in your children's life. Now, how in the whole world does that come about in our own lives? Well, we talked about Proverbs chapter 26, verse 2. Like a sparrow in the flitting and the swallow in the flying, so a curse without a cause does not alight. What we talked about is the fact that the, the, the swallow and the sparrow are flying over. We cannot stop them from flying over. But as, as it's been said in the past, you can't control a bird flying over your head, but you can sure control them if they're going to make a nest on your head. But that's exactly what it's saying there. Because a curse is flying over you, but it is when you permit it to make a nest in your life, when you're permitting it for it to come and make its home on your life, that's... What the Lord doesn't want from us. The second thing. The sin in general opens doors. Again, I'm, I'm stating and I'm restating this. All we're talking about are legalities. And as I've, I've mentioned and I will, I will mention it again. When we pray a spiritual prayer like we've been praying. And when we pray. A prayer to break the, 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 the cycle of iniquity in our li own lives or the cycle of curses upon our lives. Or we pray for deliverance for somebody else. All we're doing, we're doing legally. What many do in the natural world, we're doing it in the spiritual world. Basically, what we're doing is we're putting an order at a door that says, you have to, what's the right English word? Vacate. Thank you. I'm trying to think about it in Spanish. It's desalojar. And so what we're doing is giving an order that you have to vacate. There's a legal right. There is a legality. But many of us don't realize that the enemy cannot cross a legality that we do not permit him to be in. Either intentionally, non-intentionally, consciously or unconsciously. We, many times we give the enemy the place in our own lives. Now in Numbers chapter 14, verse 18, and I'm going to read it because it's interesting here. It talks about the Lord's desire. It says, the Lord is slow to anger and abundant in, lung, in kindness or lung, lung, loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression. He forgives. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He gives us an opportunity. He gives us a long opportunity for us to change direction in our own life. But sooner or later, it says, but, but he by no means will clear the guilty. 
He will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. So what does that mean? Let me try to explain it. When a parent sins, he is opening doors, legal doors over four generations. And those legal doors have to be closed. Because wanted or not, we as parents are, are like the patriarchs of our family. There is a spiritual anointing in our lives. God has given us to be leaders of our generations. And so when we, in a, in a very selfish way, because sin is selfishness, isn't it not? In a very selfish way, we do what we want to do, not measuring the consequences of what we're doing. Then what happens is we're opening doors and we're permitting rights upon our own children to the third and fourth generation. But I'm going to tell you, probably go a little bit deeper and even a little bit harder for, on all of us before I give you the light. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 46, it says something interesting. Deuteronomy 28, 46, it says something very interesting. I want, to want you to listen, it. listen to it. It says, and they shall become, talking about the curses, and they shall become a sign and a wonder on you and your descendants Forever. For how many generations? Forever. See, Deuteronomy chapter 28, the first 14 verses talks about the blessing. And then the rest of the chapter talks about the curses. And it says in verse 48, 46, And they shall be a sign and a wonder upon your generations. For how many generations? Forever. Now, let me explain, because when I read that, and I was studying this theme, I asked the Lord, Lord, isn't there a contradiction here? Numbers, you're telling me that there is a limit. There's a fourth generation limit. Because the sins of the parents upon their children, until what generation? Fourth. There's a limit. The limit. Now, we realize that the blessings for, are for how many generations? For a thousand. The blessings are for a thousand generations. But the curse is for how many generations? Four. Now what happens? Why is, is, is in a certain way God contradicting himself in chapter 28 verse 46? God's not contradicting himself. You know what happens? Is let's say the father sins. And the son says, you know what? I have that model. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to resist that tendency in my life. And I'm going to do something different. But he's not a Christian. But he's, he's basically doing it out of his own will. I'm going to resist that. And I'm not going to do it. But yet, because he doesn't understand the principle, his child still has that tendency. And so the child, what does the child do? He doesn't have the effect of the grandparents. He has the effect of, of, of a good father that tried to do what's right, even, even out of his own strength. But there's a tendency in his own life. And so that tendency wins over his own will. And so he, what does he do? He follows the tendency that is one is in his grandfather's life. And so what happens? Immediately as he does this, he's no longer the second generation. 
He's no longer the third generation. He is what? He's now the first. Do you understand? And that's how a curse can become what? Verse 46, forever. Unless we break it, it has a tendency of becoming what? Forever. That has to be broken in our lives. If not, it can become forever. It can become a generational cycle. The fourth thing. There's curses that have been spoken into other people's life. Let me ask you. Who has the greatest authority in a person's life? It's not the pastor. It's the parent. The greatest and most purest authority on earth is a parent's authority. It is the greatest authority that exists. But it also is the greatest authority that can build or it can what? Tear, destroy. And so what happens when a parent, out of anger, out of, excuse me for using this word in church, stupidity, tell, curses his son. What happens in that moment? That cycle begins. Because he's not just cursing his son, he's cursing his grandson and his great-grandson. And we find that where? In Genesis 9, 22. Remember the problem that Noah had with one of his sons? Cam. And he didn't curse Cam. He cursed who? Canaan, his grandson. And that curse until today is still functioning. Even though how many years have passed? I would say 4,000 have passed. How many generations? Maybe Three, four, five hundred generations have passed, but that curse is still what? Viable. Until it's broken. And who broke the curse? Jesus in the cross. He broke the curse. But what has to happen in my life? I have to apply it to my life. I have to make it real into my life. And that has to break in my life. And that has to be caused to... to, to to doing that. Amen? Now, let me, let me concentrate in, in the few minutes that I have left today. How can we break those curses in our lives? How to break them? Let's look at Psalms chapter 109, verse 14. Listen to it. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. And do not let the sin of his mothers be blotted out. What is happening sometimes? We don't realize that we have to break and we have to blot that influence in our lives. It has to be broken. It has to be erased. It has to be eliminated out of our lives. It is an action of our will. It is an action of our determination. It is an action that we are going to walk through in our own life. And what is the four steps? The first one. I have to make a conscious prayer of cutting and breaking that inheritance in our generations. As a father, I have a right 
that in the same way that I could have created curse upon my children, I have a right to break those curses and I have a right to declare blessing upon my generations. And I think as parents, that has to be a, a process of as often as we can. How, when was the last time, father, mother, that you looked at your child and you said, I bless you? Because the words of blessing of a parent are incredibly powerful. They're as powerful as the words of curses. But sometimes we live life so ambiguously without understanding what we're doing. I remember my four children when they were young. The, I would sing every night to the Lamb that prayer, that ironic prayer from Aaron. And I would say, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee. What are we doing? We're blessing. And when I bless, the Lord blesses. Because there is an authority in my words. There's an authority in my life. And I have the authority to break that. Not just upon my life, but upon my generations. And I think that the more the merrier. What I mean, if you, if you realize that there's something in your family and you can get together with your brothers and sisters, and better if you can get together with your parents. But sometimes when you deal with problems with your parents, they start taking, taking it uh, very personally that you're accusing them of something. But if you can get together with other parts of your family, and you know, the Bible says we're two or three or four or five or six or seven are gathered together with one single purpose. In whatever they ask of the Father, he will do. Because there's much more power, there's much more authority in the unity when we join together. Naturally, in my family, there's six. My wife, my four kids, and I. Let me ask you, how much power is there in that? Hmm? We can do it. You can do it. The second thing, we need to appropriate in our life the working and the giftings of Christ through the cross. Let's read Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Galatians 3, 13. It says, And Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. What did He do? Redeemed us from the what? Curse of the law. And what is the law in this case? The law is what we read in Numbers, what we read in Exodus. That the sins of the fathers upon the third and fourth generation. And in the cross we have been what? Redeemed from the curse of the law. Because he became the curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. One of my favorite verses is in Deuteronomy. I'm going to try to transliterate it. That God says that He has changed our curses into blessings because He loves us. What is God trying to do? 
He's trying to change our curses into blessings. Because that's the manifestation of His love. But He cannot do it unless I am willing to walk that walk. I'm willing to take the steps that are needed for me to be able to do that in my own life. Because He loves us. He's willing to do that. Third thing. This is where it comes into our responsibility on our daily life. Ezekiel 18, 19, and we read this. And it says, Yet you say, why should a son not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity? When the son has practiced justice and righteousness and has observed all my statutes and done them, he shall surely live. Now what does that mean? Let me explain where it becomes, where the rubber meets the road here. This is not a once in a lifetime thing. This is a daily walk. Because I've got to tell you something. The tendency is going to be in your life for a long while. You can pray. You can break. But the tendency that is based, it is rooted in an area of our life that is probably the last enemy that we will conquer before we enter into eternity in our own life that is called the flesh. That tendency, where is it rooted in? In our flesh. And so every morning that we rise up, we have to, we have to put on the whole armor of the Lord. Every day we have to determine that we're going to live differently. Every day we're going to determine that we have to walk in righteousness. And when we walk in righteousness, then we are reinforcing what we did in the spirit world. What we did in the spiritual realm. What we did when we broke and we prayed and we cut and we, we applied upon our lives the blessing of the cross. But every morning that we get up, we have to determine, you know what, I'm going to walk righteously. Not according to my flesh, but according to the spirit. And that's a theme for another opportunity. But it is very important for us to realize God wants to empower your spirit. God is not bypassing your spirit. Because it is through the empowerment of your spirit that you will be able to conquer the flesh. Amen? And fourth, and with that I'll finish. To be able to win, we have to give our situation spiritual solutions. There's problems in our lives that the only solution that we have is a spiritual one. We will come to a place, some of us, where we will try everything. And we need to realize the only solution that we have is spiritual. Because if your problem is, I'm going to use this one, financial. You can sell everything you have. You can rebudget your economy. You can ask your boss to give you a raise. You can take on a new loan. But if the problem is spiritual, no matter what you do, you're going to have a problem. If your problem is that you spend more than what you make, 
That's your business, not mine. But if the problem is you're doing everything in, in your power to fix your problem, and it's still a persist, you need to realize there is a spiritual problem here, and it's a spiritual solution. No matter how much I rebudget, no matter how much I tighten my pants up, no matter how much I stop from shopping, I'm going to still have a problem because it's a spiritual problem, not a natural problem. And I need to discern what, what it is and face it with the weapons that God has given us our spiritual weapons because spiritual problems, spiritual solutions. Spiritual problems, spiritual weapons in our lives. And the Bible tells us that the weapons of our warfare, they're not what? Carnal. Carnal doesn't mean just flesh and blood. Carnal means physical, natural. The weapons of our warfare are spiritual. And they're mighty to be able to come against principalities, powers, rulers, dominions. But it 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us when our obedience is made perfect. When we're walking in righteousness. The Lord will give us the capacity of breaking those cycles in our own life. You know, I, the, the list I gave you of what, what could be a spiritual cycle of curse in your life is not the whole list. The reality is, I've tried to put it, what is it is in your life that is happening continuously? In your own life, in your own family. What is happening to other members of your family that is happening also to you? You have to have discernment of the Lord. And if the Lord's spoken to you today, I would like for us to take the first step and do the first point. Together we can join. And together we can take responsibility of our lives. Because taking responsibility of our own life doesn't mean that we're going to accuse somebody else. We're not going to go back home and say, Dad, it's all your fault what I'm living here. He did everything that he did probably in ignorance. But I'm walking in the light. I'm walking in understanding. And that is the first step to find freedom in my own life. And it's not who can we find to be able to blame. It's the matter of taking action with the reality of our present circumstance. Because this is not a blame game. This is taking a hold of the recourse that God is giving us to be able to do what God has called us to be. Amen. Why don't you bow your heads for just a few moments? And I would like to ask you to do something for me today. For you to be able to there, as you're sitting with your eyes closed, that you will ask the Lord and say, Lord, show me. Show me, Lord, if there's something in my life that needs a touch from you. Something in my life that needs to be dealt with. There's a cycle that is happening over and over and over again in my own life, my family. And today I want to break that. Today I want 
to be a new beginning of a new stage in my own life. This is not something that is going to happen. This is the beginning of things that need to happen. Because now we have to walk the walk. Now we have to walk in righteousness. We have to not let flesh have dominion over us. Because the Lord is trying to give us victory. Can you think of something that the Lord's revealed in your life? Something in your own family inheritance that needs to be broken? Could you call it by name? Could you identify it tonight in your own life? Because I would like for us to pray. And together in unison, for us to take authority over that area of our lives and say, Lord, today, my inheritance is for blessing. My inheritance is for righteousness. My inheritance is for doing your will. Today, my children are children of righteousness. My children are children of blessing. Why don't we take a hold of somebody that is next to us? And even though we're going to express our situation and our own personal walk, we're joined together with somebody else there. And I would like to ask you to make this prayer in unison with me. Repeat it after me. Could you do that today? With your eyes closed, let's pray together. Father, today I come boldly into your throne. Believing that you are everything that I need. Lord, I come to you in faith, dressed in the clothes of righteousness of Christ Jesus. Because I live in his grace. Not of my own works, but because what he did on the cross for me. But today, Lord, I discern that there's issues in my life that need to be dealt with. And Lord, today I ask you that you will give me the discernment, the grace, the authority to be able to break the bondage over my life, the life of my family. And Lord, today we take a hold of this. And with the authority that you have given us as sons and daughters, Lord, we today break that inheritance that has been coming from generation to generation upon my life, the life of my mate, the life of my children. And Lord, I ask you that today will be a newness, a freshness, of your working, of your manifestation, of your blessing. And Lord, today, with the authority that we have, 
in you. Lord, we break and we declare blessing upon our generations. Lord, we believe that you have called us to be a blessing. That you have called us to walk in righteousness. That you have called us for us to be a, an element of transformation in this world. And today, we walk in a newness of what you're doing in my life, in the life of my family, in the name of Jesus. With your eyes closed, Father, today, let me pray. Let me pray. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask you that you will move mightily. Lord, we send your spirit, your angels to touch every situation and what was intended for evil, what was intended for destruction, what was intended to keep us enslaved in bondage, limited. Lord, no, your, your ministering angels is, are, are changing the direction of what's happening in our lives. And now, Lord, we ask you that you will fulfill your promise. You will fulfill your purpose. You will fulfill your intention for our lives. Lord, you have not called us to be under the circumstances, but to be above the circumstances. Lord, you have called us not to be subject to the circumstances, but to be able to govern these circumstances. And now, Lord, I ask you that you will give us the wisdom and the understanding and the strength and, and Lord, the grace to be walking in your grace every day. Walking in victory, walking in righteousness, walking in the fear of the Lord, walking in the desire to please you every day with everything we do. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Why don't we give the Lord an offering of praise with our claps. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Our praise breaks every bond and every yoke in our lives. Thank you, Father. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. As pastors mentioned, I'm going to be up here. Probably a couple of the ministers will be up here. If you need some personal prayer, we're welcome to pray with you. God bless you. Was he, uh, was he speaking to you tonight? Yeah, me either. It's so easy to look at all, look around at all of you, uh, all you cursed people. And to stand before you just, that, well, that's just the way I am. You know, it's a pharmaceutical look at this whole topic. We all have to, as Jesus told the story in the, in the temple of the two that came to pray, one with a humble heart said, Lord, I need you. I'm a sinner. The other looked at him and said, I'm, I'm so glad I'm not like him. With this topic tonight, do you have in your mind, I'm so glad I'm not like 
We're in a humble heart. Say, Lord, lead me. Heal me. Heal my family. Heal us, oh God. Deliver us, oh God. I don't want any of this. Because again, it's the little foxes. We want to pray with you tonight. If you need some of that, if you need some prayer, we would love to do that. Don't, again, don't get, oh, I don't want anybody to know that I'm struggling with that. Listen, we're all struggling with what was going on, with what we talked about tonight. We've all been influenced. We've all been impacted. What he talked about tonight was how we get free. Amen? That's up to us. What you do with it is up to you. But that's what this has all been about. What are you going to do with what God has spoken to your heart? What are you going to do with the information he's given? What are you going to do? That's up to you. Amen? We're just going to worship for a moment. And uh, I want to take the time. This is a really important topic. Really glad we were doing this on Saturday night because I wanted to take the opportunity to pray for those who needed some prayer. It's only a little after eight. It's early. If you need some prayer tonight, you just step out of your seat and you come on up here and we're just going to pray with you. Amen.
church, we will uh, we'll stay. We'll pray with those who would like. For the rest, you're, you are dismissed. I, I hope you'll pray and consider coming back tomorrow. I know God has two more very special messages to pour out for us. Amen? God bless you. Listen, go be the church. Go be the church. Have a beautiful night. God bless you. We love you. And again, don't leave without prayer. If God's calling you for that, don't leave without prayer.